Hello, lovely listener. My name is Lindsay, and you're listening to Two Cents Podcast, your audible anthology. All the poetry books I've reviewed so far were by authors in the mainstream. My commentary was merely a drop in an ocean of reviews, and I'd echo similar sentiments found in comments typed off the cuff on Amazon or Goodreads. This episode, I am delighted to delve into a collection of poetry by Damien White, titled I Made a Place for You. We will explore how he unpacks his story, featuring some recitals from him, as well as an appreciation of the collection's art and how the written and illustrated elements harmonize to give us an immersive experience of Damien's narrative. Cue the intro. I Made a Place for You is Damien's debut poetry collection that serves to channel all he endured throughout his experience with two bouts of homelessness. It features 23 titles with illustrations to accompany them. It is a short read that can be completed in one sitting, and laced throughout the poems is a deep introspection of his identity as it evolved over time and circumstance. Also recurring in the pieces is a persistent ember of hope, an accumulation of wisdom and many spiritual themes. I absolutely applaud the arrangement of the pieces because the first poem, titled Postmortem, really sets the tone for the book, and here is a recitation by the author himself. Postmortem We abracadabra our flaws into a mausoleum of deceit for a semblance of redemption and shelling our leprosy inside. I always love the ones we bury, our uncanny trove of white lies. When I expire, inscribe my epitaph on Pandora's decaying box. Hum melodiously as you adorn my headstone with pastel foliage. Let it read, here lies a man who never died inside. We hit the ground running with an epitaph. Quote, here lies a man who never died inside. Corresponding is an illustration by Francesco Orozzini. The illustration features a tree modified into a ribcage, adorned with birds perching on the bones and a character representing the poet. The poet reflects that we abracadabra our flaws, we shell our leprosy inside, and we have troves of white lies, all to say that our strife is contained in a Pandora's box of our own making. On his Pandora's box, he wishes the epitaph to be inscribed that he never died inside. I've broken down this review into a discussion of the themes I found in the poem. And these three themes are introspection, hope, and spirituality. First, we will have a look at introspection as a theme. A lot of the poems that deal with introspection incorporate reflection and self-image, with a wide reference to mirrors. This is exemplified in the poems We Locked Eyes and Look Away. While some poems will be recited by the author, I have chosen not to read all the poems because I would encourage you to have a read of this book yourselves. So, the first poem, We Locked Eyes, and again, the author has provided us a recitation. Here is We Locked Eyes by Damien White. 
we locked eyes. I'm the apogee of my untruths, a burial ground of missteps, once fertile yet fashion futile, an elegy of dormant desires. I've made a mockery of mirrors, stood coolly in center frame, deflected in fragility, and grimaced at my reflection. It's the spirit of a man that unearths his ill soul, renders him villainous, a mere scrap of himself. We locked eyes, too repulsed to coax a smile on the Saturdays. Details a conversation with the man in the mirror. It's a vulnerable read and very relatable. I want to focus on the phrase, quote, an elegy of dormant desires. The poet expresses that there's an inner pining that is quelled by self-doubt and circumstance. Another quote is the deflecting in fragility and grimacing at his reflection. The poet deflects in fragility. It's difficult to confront those inner problems, and so he turns to grimace at his reflection. This expresses a truth of how we are ultimately our own worst critics. It is innate, it is the spirit of man that unearths his ills. It is the nature of man to, reign, to render himself villainous, a mere scrap of himself. Upon locking eyes with the reflection, coaxing a smile is even more a task, especially on the Saturdays. The poet expresses that there's already this predisposition to critique himself, and so even coaxing a smile is a greater task, especially on days when the self-critique is even more amplified, those sadder days. The second poem that coincides with We Locked Eyes is Look Away. The poet makes a promise to himself to never look away, especially if things got unsightly. However, in this poem he, he confesses and furthermore regrets the moment he took his eyes, perhaps away from himself. We locked eyes and look away sort of play off of each other in my mind. We locked eyes is, is the poet catching his reflection and making an attempt to interact with it. But then look away is when things get really unsightly and instead of holding his gaze, he looks away even though he made a promise to never look away, especially if things got unsightly. The next poems I'd like to look at for this introspective theme is the poem A Man Deveined and I Am Innocent. And I found a very interesting connection between them because A Man Deveined deals with some descriptions of self-harm but describes the journey that culminated in self-harm. And then I Am Innocent takes this progression, this journey, and analyzes it in retrospect, almost looking at it at the end of his life or at the end of that experience. Amandi Veined describes at its end a wielding of guilt's sword. This sword is wielded after the poet describes his perilous pastimes, one to snort and one to shoot. What motivates these pastimes is this craving for nirvana. The poet says, beware of nirvana. Nirvana being a blissful state, an experience of heightened pleasure. Beware of nirvana. 
because nirvana, as the poet says, seeds vices in words that bloom. The adage, an idle mind is the devil's playground, is quoted, and just as the sadness and regret set in, guilt is wielded as a sword, and a man is ultimately deveined. As somewhat of a resolve to a man deveined, I'm Innocent has a theme of redemption in it, and here is a reading of that poem. I am innocent. To grieve is to soothe an abscess, reconcile the strife between faith and fate, for freedom is no wavering white flag. We build a fortress of validation and guillotine our most precious birthright, innocence. We swoon between slithering temptation, holiness roosting in the umbrage, yet will we emerge victorious? Yes. Heaven's doors open serendipitously, ushered by God's palm itself. Our journey is the price of admission. We progress through life, building fortresses of validation, and having our most important birthright guillotined, that is, innocence. Temptation is illustrated to be a slithering character, whilst holiness roosts in the shadows. And in spite of temptation and our separation from innocence, we emerge victorious. There is hope, and heaven's doors open by chance. When all hope is seemingly lost, the poet describes God's palm ushering one in, with their lives paying the price for admission. That life filled with vices and virtues, pastimes as described by the poet, being our right to admission. The artwork that accompanies this poem depicts the character representing the poet on a path to a castle with rays beaming from clouds on high. At the end of this path is a masquerade mask seemingly melting away from the castle. The facade is distant from it, and to the right of the illustration is a hand with a ring on its finger that hangs in free space. The facade and the hand are outside the castle. The character who was drawn with a crown on his head holds it in his hands as he approaches the castle's entrance, his life paying the price for admission. I take the crown in his hands to be an act of deference, but also placing less emphasis on embellishment or material things. The last poem for this theme that I'd like to look at is Sky Dweller. The stars and heavenly bodies guide the wayward home. I appreciate the illustration of the paternal relationship between the sun and the moon, how the sun bastions the moon and cradles her after charioting the sky. And then we've got the counterbalance between the clouds and the wind, the clouds softening the wind's untimely falls and revel triumphantly. On the artwork, the character representing the poet is destitute, sitting on the steps of a run-down cabin with a fishing line in their hands, and slightly above in the sky are celestial bodies with facial features, two with mouths and one with an eye, endowing them with vision and the ability to verbalize. It kind of personifies them. This also confirms their role as the sky dweller's refuge because they have the means to communicate, depicting them as way closer than we think. The second theme I'd like to look at is hope. Whether subtly or overtly, the poet 
consistently conveys little embers of hope in his poetry. Uh, the poem I'd like to look at first is Good Morning. And already there's something very special about this poem in the spelling of morning. It's not the usual spelling of morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. It is the verb of the noun mourn, as in grief. So good morning. And so the poem poses this question. Are we soot, ash, grit, soil, dirt? And this soot he describes is impure, black, and akin to sadness. But yes, while we are dirt, we are worthy dirt, fertile ground, which coincides with the image of a rose blossoming through a coffin. This is the illustration that accompanies the poem. This rose blossoms past death, or blossoms in spite of death, because in the illustration it blooms from a desolate land scattered with bones. And so we may be dirt, but we are teeming with potential. These next two poems were a little difficult to categorize, but I think they really work off of each other. The first is Pinky Promise. It didn't read as hopeful as the ones I read before, as it denoted loss, broken promises, and the degradation of a relationship. Growth Spurt, which follows right after, seems to be a continuation or resolve for the themes in Pinky Promise. The third and last theme is spirituality. While this theme can be noticed in the poems mentioned before, the next poems really call out by name the figures that contribute to the poet's spiritual worldview. We've got God's typewriter, the devil's bait, a sinner's plea, purgatory, written in blood, and playing God, among others, that I will discuss. First, let's have a look at God's typewriter. Here the poet presents himself as the vessel through which God writes. The poet expresses that he is more written than writer, and he poises to display the fleshiest truth. It sounds like everything that the poet is, is a testament of this fleshiest truth. He embodies a higher power's writing. He is the writing surface inscribed. God's typewriter really demonstrates how involved and how immersive the poet's spiritual experience is. And this ties closely with the poem Sacred Maths, where the poet presents all the imminent and unfortunate things that, that happen. For example, death. So yes, death is eminent. However, we are not to blame these beasts of burden. As they assail, they perpetrate according to God's plan. This plan is described as maths, a sacred maths, done on a sacred abacus. The abacus illustrated has beads designed to has beads drawn to look like planets. It is a grander maths, definitely one out of a mortal's control. And ultimately, we are integral in the sacred maths. The next poems featuring spiritual themes follow one after another. In The Devil's Bait, the poet gives a warning about temptation. 
describing the way in which temptation is presented in a dance and song. A dance marked by lasciviousness and swindling hips. A song resonant enough to awaken sacred chakras, featured with sinful incantation. In a sinner's plea, there is a discussion about time and how it is fleeting. The answer to this is the belief in an eternity. And so the worry about time being lost is quelled by faith. In the poem Balanced Dew, the poet asks, and I believe rhetorically, to whom do I owe my soul? Balanced Dew, especially the title, sort of deals with material circumstance. We have our material circumstance, which we tend to by participating in our economic system. Something we could describe as giving our souls to, giving our effort and our time to. The poet asks, to whom do I owe my soul? Is it the material circumstance or something else? The next poems weren't categorised. They contain the introspection, hope and spirituality that we've just discussed. The first of which is purgatory, or as I like to call it, the spiritual waiting room, or limbo, which is another name for it. In purgatory, the poet speaks in the present tense. He remarks that he is masterfully patient these days, which is in contrast to the impulsivity described before. For example, in a man deveined, with his noted pastimes, or the temptation of song and dance that he would have given into. The poet describes himself as free from the helms of bliss. There is no longer this seeking of nirvana. He is still. At the end of purgatory, the poet describes a day of reckoning where they will don their growth rings, a testament to all they have endured. And there is that ember of hope. The second last poem is Written in Blood. And here is a recitation. Written in Blood As ink bleeds, I'm a sacrificial soul's feast. Pain gushes, exhumed from ghastly night terrors, words abet my inner masochist bloodletting pen. As ink bleeds, I bleed. I found it interesting that it was the second last piece. The words abet the poet's inner masochist's bloodletting pen, and he brings the pain to paper. As the ink bleeds, he bleeds too. And it could be taken that what has been elucidated in the poems is what he has bled out thus far. The last poem in the collection is titled Playing God. The poet has just put his pain to paper, noting the devil's bait, his search for nirvana, and he does the ultimate reflection in playing God. He had given himself God's glory, which he was lent by God himself. Soon after, he buckled 
under its magnificence. Realizing that emulating God is not the same thing as being God. I made a place for you, works off Damien's experience. But he often speaks to the reader, diving deep into the traits we all share self doubt, pride, and curiosity. To give a general analysis of the artwork, it is abstract with earthly tones. There are also some macabre themes with the skeletons of birds and other bones featured throughout. The fading and pastel quality of the colours give the illustrations a dreamlike quality, which coincides with the abstract direction the art takes. You've got mouths and eyes on planets, a mouth whose tongue wraps around a microphone and is held down by a lock at the base of the microphone to symbolise that words linger on the poet's tongue, as written in one of the poems, as written in the poem discussed, God's typewriter. Overall, the illustrations really capture the poems they precede. Other comments I have, or I made a place for you, is the brevity. The poem Pixie Dust is quite brief, although I think with the poet's wealth of experience, there could be an allegory inserted or connecting into pixie dust to really flesh it out. I also think the poet could do something really special with meter because of the syllabic arrangement in a number of the poems. And most importantly, I think there is more. There is more poetry that could be extracted from such a rich experience. That concludes this review. If you would like to read I Made a Place for You, a link will be shared in your description. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. If this is your first listen, I hope it was impressionable enough for you to join me again for another episode. If you're returning, your loyalty is unmatched and received with much gratitude. As always, my email is open for any discussion on a topic. I will also leave Damien's social media on there in case you would like to reach out. Any episode suggestions or even submissions can be sent to my email. And if you know someone who would enjoy this episode, I invite you to share it with them. Till next time.